0: We're in Acts 9, and we're beginning in verse 19, and we kind of started on this last week. We just kind of, we went over the first point. Uh, We spent a lot of time last week in prayer, and that's a good thing. And uh, this morning, um, we'll have time to finish it. Um, So I want to ask you to stand up. We're we're talking about Paul uh, right after he was saved. You can go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read as you're finding Acts 9. Uh, and begin in verse 19, but actually the second half of that verse. We we come to a place right after Paul becomes a Christian, right after Paul meets Christ. And uh, and believe it or not, all this will tie into what we've been talking about because um, we're going to see how Paul's life has radically changed and uh, what he began to do. But the second half of 19 through verse 25 says this. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God, and all who heard him were amazed and said, "Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name, uh, this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests?" But, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded by the uh, and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And many days had passed. Uh, When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, uh, but their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Father, again, we ask that you would open our eyes to the wonderful truth of your word in Jesus' name. Thank you. Young, sit down. I call this Paul a purposeful man. Because God, when he saves us, he gives us a purpose to live. And, and our lives ought to have a purpose. If we just kind of kind of wander through life purposeless, um, number one, you, you're never going to be content. And number two, you're not sure why you're even here. Uh, that can lead to some depression there. Uh, but God does have a purpose for you. God created you for a purpose. And Paul had a purpose. And I know the Bible here calls him Saul, and that was his name at this point. Uh, just for convenience sake, I'm going to say Paul over and over. And, and, but Paul's life is radically changed in a moment. And so, like Paul, our lives ought to be radically changed when we surrender to Christ. Because God is not, and his purpose is not to make you a better person. His, his purpose is to make you a brand new person. His purpose is to kill you and put a new person in the same skin. He wants you to be a new creation, a new creature in Christ. And Paul became that instantaneously. But in this passage, it opens up a world of questions, and the Bible doesn't answer all the questions. We have to speculate on some of them. Um, But the book of Acts is not a history of Paul's life, it's the history of the church's life. So we have just enough here to get some ideas. Paul talks about it more in Galatians 1 and 2, and you can read that for yourself. Um, and we'll kind of fill in the gaps. Last week, we talked about the very first thing he did. And it says it right here in this verse. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. So for a little while, he hung out with the with the people there in Damascus at, at the church. Now, we call that fellowship. Fellowship is, not, is more than hanging out. It's helping each other be more like Christ. But he had fellowship with the believers. And when Paul surrendered to Christ, he immediately did this. And we went over this last week, some of you weren't here, some of you were, so I'm going to go over it kind of fast. But um, we understand that, that Paul got to be with Christians. And what that means for us is important for us to note. Here's a guy, this guy's the smartest guy alive, and, and he didn't need anybody to tell him anything you would think. But he didn't know much about walking with Christ, and so he needed that fellowship to help him. And local fellowship is important. This this is the place where you can get it wrong. This is the place where you learn. This is the place where I can come up with a great idea. And everybody goes, that's not a great idea. Let me tell you why. And I can learn from that. I can learn what, what, what God wants of me. And in a place of fellowship, I can see people who are succeeding where I'm failing. And I can get their help. Or maybe God wants me to be an example to someone else. By the way, you are always a witness. Did you know that? 24-7, you're a witness. Sometimes you're a bad witness. Sometimes you're a good witness. But you're always a witness. If Christ is in your life, you are always telling the world what Christ is like. Now, you want to make sure they get the right message and not the wrong one, right? So, this is the place to get it wrong, and we said last week, where you can win and learn. Uh, not win or lose, it's win or learn, because when you fail, that's when you learn. And so, this is the place that is a, should be a safe place to fail. But what does all that mean practically for us? It means this, you ought to open your home to others. You ought, to, you ought to go, you ought to find somebody at Calvary that you don't know and start talking to them. Get to know them a little bit and then say, hey, you, you, maybe you don't feel comfortable inviting them to your house. Hey, tacos are cheap down at the Mexican restaurant down the street. So say, hey, you want to go get tacos after church? Buy them a taco, man. Get to know people. Fellowship with them. Come to Sunday school, to care groups, to, uh, I mean, to, uh, to, to connect groups and, and, and get to know people in a smaller setting. This is where that is supposed to be able to happen. Well, we covered that last week, so I just want to throw that out there as a reminder. Because secondly, what we see in this text is that Paul began faithfully telling the story. There in verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. Now, we've got the the same problem here that they had when they heard Him. How does a guy who three or four days before this, because remember, God knocks Paul down on the road. He sends Ananias to him. He goes on into town after that event. He goes into town. He can't see. He's blinded. And Ananias comes in after three days, prays for him, receives his sight, and then immediately he starts preaching Jesus. So that means on Thursday, just for our sake, on Thursday Jesus knocks him down on the road, and on Sunday, he's preaching at church. Now, that shouldn't happen. I, now, somebody gets saved on Thursday. I don't mind saying, hey, they got saved, tell us what happened, let them tell us their testimony. But Paul begins arguing that Jesus is the Son of God. That's weird. How in the world does he do that? Well, I, I'm going to look at that a little later, uh, even more. But, I, but I, want you to, I want you to catch something here that many people think you've got to be saved a long time before you can talk to anybody about Jesus. And that's not true. Being a new Christian is not an excuse not to tell people about Christ. And by the way, if you've been at Calvary for a long time, oldness is not an excuse not to tell people about Jesus either. Well, you know, I'm just kind of old. Nobody wants to listen to me. No, they do. They want to hear you. There are people who need to hear about Christ. Say, well, I don't know how to do it. Well, nobody does. Here's the cool thing. God will use anything you give him to use because he has to. That's all he's got. He has chosen to use us in his ministry and bringing the world to Christ. And you can mess up and God will still use it. I know that from personal experience. Now, when I was in high school, I was a, I'm still an idiot, but I was a real idiot in high school. I mean, I was a jerk and an idiot. Now I'm only kind of a jerk and not full jerk. I, I just was, I mean, I carried around a big black Bible, man. I just, you know, you're going to hell. You know, I was just like telling me, man, dude, I just want to eat my taco, you know. Um so so I was I was kind of I was kind of really, kind of really mean. And and I've had people that I was not nice to come to me a couple of years later, back in my twenties. I'm not around those people anymore, and say, Hey, man, I got saved. I just All I can remember is you carrying that Bible at school and talking about Jesus. And I'm thinking, really? I was a jerk. And yet you got saved. That's amazing. God can use it when you mess up. God can use it when you don't know He's using it. Uh, we, we needed a secretary at another church I pastored. And a, a lady came. She applied for the job. And she showed up. And uh, we couldn't afford her. She's too good for us. But uh, that's literally true. But she... Um, she walks into the interview thing, and she says, I feel like I'm at home, or, or like this is a homecoming, and we said, what do you mean? Because we had never seen her in our life. She said, I came to a wedding here. So my friend was getting married, and I, I came to the rehearsal and everything, and she said, when I walked in, I felt something different. It was just something came over me. And then, and, and like, I don't do weddings that I don't talk about Christ, and so she said, and you were up there talking, and the way I just saw everything happen, and God brought conviction, and I became a Christian. And she had never come to our church. She didn't let us know that. She went off, she joined another church. Later on, she got married. Now she's applying to be secretary. And if she hadn't have done that, I would have never known that she was a Christian because of something we didn't even know. We were a witness when we didn't know we were a witness. And when she saw how that wedding happened, how those people... We're in Christ uh, getting married, it changed her life radically. And, and so God do that. Here's some Bible examples. A woman at the well. She meets Jesus at the well. He gets a little bit personal with her, and she runs back to town and says, Come see a man told me everything I ever did. Now, he didn't actually tell her, according to the Scripture, he didn't tell her everything she had done, but she knew if he knew that, he knew the rest. So she goes to town and says, Hey, guys, this guy told me everything I did. They go... Really? What did he say? Well, you know, you were there. Oh, yeah, I guess I was. You need to come meet him. And they, the whole town came out because of this immediate witness of a woman who had believed that Jesus was the Messiah. How about the guy that was born blind and Jesus healed him? And when, when his vision came, Jesus had already walked away. He did, he did something to him and then walked away. And the guy's vision came and Jesus was gone. He didn't even know what Jesus looked like. And, but he did it on Saturday, which is the Jewish sabbath their sunday and you know they were very strict they were very they kept the law got to do it just right and so like he shouldn't have done that on the sabbath you're not supposed to work well he wasn't working he was healing but anyway so they said he shouldn't have done that and, and all this and he goes listen I, I i i don't know what to say to you and they say brought in his parents said was he really blind or is he just faking it So no this, this is our son he was born blind well what happened they go we don't know you got to ask him the parents were too scared to tell the Tell the Sanhedrin what the deal was. So they turned back to him. This man is evil. He goes, whether he's evil or not, I don't know. But the only thing I know is I was blind. Now I can see. I mean, that's all that guy knew. And so he told him what he knew. And then Jesus comes back around to him after they threw him out. And he says, hey, you know who I am? No, he said, I'm the guy that healed you. Oh. So let me tell you more about myself. And he began to explain who he was to that guy. You see, when you obey what God's given you, he gives you more. All he had been given was a sight, and he used the sight to testify. And so Jesus comes and reveals more of himself to him. And if you talk about Jesus as best you know how, then God will give you even more. How about the shepherds? They went, they saw the baby, and then they went out in the countryside telling everybody what they saw. So if you're a new Christian, you can still witness. If you're an old Christian, you ought to be witnessing, witness and you ought to be an example. And you, you already know the, the basics. But here's the problem. You think you've got to get people saved. No. You don't have to be an expert. You have to be a witness. And a witness can only testify to what they've seen. So if you don't have anything to witness about, that means you need to get something you can witness about. You need to get saved. Right? Right? Because that's what a witness is. It's not an expert in everything about Christianity. It's Jesus saved me, let me tell you how he did it. And you can share that with somebody who needs to hear that. And so you can be a witness. And then as you mature, you learn more details and how to give an account for the hope that is in you. Paul was able to do that immediately, but we see him grow. We know the Bible is God's word because it doesn't make the heroes look good. Like it, you read a novel about a hero, and he almost never makes a mistake. and even if he does, it doesn't, you know, end in tragedy. The Bible tells us the heroes made mistakes and tells us a lot about Paul. And you can see it even in his writing, his personality in there. and and he he starts out one way, and by the end of his life, God has really, really, really changed his life. He's so mature. He changed immediately, but he's still very zealous. And God, he's never lost his his enthusiasm. But he mellowed out a little bit towards other people and gave them a little bit more grace. And so you can see that. And so obviously, if you walk with Christ, you're going to grow. And you ought to be able to tell the story better. But you can start right now. You don't have to wait. And that's, that's my encouragement there. But there's also some fearful listeners in verse 21. Many days had passed. The Jews plotted to kill him. I'm sorry, that was verse 23. Let me back up to 21. Uh, they said, they were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem and those who call upon the name? And Hasn't he come here for this purpose? To bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased even more in strength and confounded the Jews that lived in Damascus by proving Jesus is the Christ. He has some fearful listeners because four days before this he was wanting to kill them. You know, the leopard doesn't change the spots, right? You messed up once, you go mess up twice, right? Paul's out there to kill people and he shows up and says, "Hey, God did something before me on the way here and now I believe in Jesus." And they're going, "Right, sure you did. You know, it seems like we don't really trust God because we don't act on His promises. If you really trust God you will trust him and his work in someone else. How, how many of you, when you were a kid, played that trust game where you stand rigid and you fall straight back and somebody catches you? If it's your brother, he just moved and let you hit. But you know what I'm talking about? Did you know people make money doing that for grown-ups? Like, we're going to learn trust. You just fall backwards and we'll catch you. Right. You know, and we, we don't want to trust that. But that is a lot of times what God asks us to do. And we don't trust that God... Your belief is shown by falling. Your belief is shown by putting yourself in that position to to be caught. And God is faithful. He never drops you, thank God. He's always there for us. But for some reason, we think God needs our help in our own lives. We try to tell Him how He ought to fix us. God might not be interested in fixing that little part that you want fixed. He might be interested in you keeping that. Number one, maybe, maybe it keeps you humble like it did with Paul. Three times he asked God, take this away, take this away, take this away. And God said, no. You're going to live on grace. You're going to understand you need my grace for that. This morning, new members, because we're talking about strengths and weaknesses. We need God's grace for our weaknesses. And our weakness reminds us to depend on God. You know, so we need to do that. And, and, and sometimes we, so we seldom truly surrender. We, we dictate to God what he ought to do. And... We ask him sometimes to work in somebody else's life for our benefit, not his. Man, my boss, he doesn't know the Lord. He's mean as a snake. He's always doing this or that or the other thing. If God just saved him, my life would be a lot easier. How about you want to get saved so he doesn't go to hell? That might be a better motivation than, well, I want my life to be easier, so God, would you save that guy, right? We ought to have a love and a compassion for everybody that needs Christ. And that's, that's coming from a guy that struggles with that. I mean, there's just some people I believe I could slap and God would say amen. You know what I mean? So, so I, I have to struggle with, oh, you actually love them. You don't want me to slap them. Okay, I, I get that. So I, I got to check my motives. I got to check my heart and know that God wants me to love people. But you, because our doubts and our fears rob us of fellowship and robs us of the greater good for God's kingdom. I'm not going to witness a guy I don't have the love of God for, am I? I'm not going to tell them about Christ because I don't have love for them. We've got to have love for other people. and sorry. Jim Elliot said this. I, I love this quote. I thought somebody else said it, but Jim Elliot's actually the guy that said it. And he said this: "God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to Him. God always gives the best, gives the best to those who leave the choice to him." That means, by the way, if you're single, You can go pick out the guy, but he won't be good for you. Or you can leave the choice to God. And I know what you're thinking, girls. But what if he's ugly? (laughs) He probably will be because there ain't a lot of chances that he won't be. (laughs) Van Sadner said God makes a handsome man every once in a while just to break the monotony. (laughs) But I promise you, if you leave the choice to God, he'll bring you the exact right person for you. And that goes both ways. I'm picking on the girls that now. Because guys are the same way. We're so stupid. You know, the Bible says I'm more stupid than any man. I don't even have the sense of a man. That's, that's, that's true. God reserves the best for those who leave the choices to Him. What, what do you want to do with your life? Ask God. Let Him pick for you. Because He created you for a purpose. And so He knows what best way to use what He made you to be. You see... Here's why you can trust God, because he's, he has all wisdom, he has all knowledge, so he knows what is your best. He has all love that he desires your best, and he has the power to give you your best. So what do you lack? Nothing. You serve a God who knows the best, wants the best, and can give you the best. Now, here's the thing that we get confused on. Sometimes the best might not be easy, but it's still the best. My sister was a cardiothoracic nurse. That means heart and lungs. And she worked when she first became a nurse. She was she worked that floor. People had heart surgery and all. Hey, uh, good to see you back there. Heart transplant person, right back there. Three weeks ago, praise God. There she is. Hallelujah, amen. Yeah, let's clap for. Her. Yeah. <clears throat> and and so people would have these heart surgeries, and she had to get them up walking that day, that afternoon, that night. They'd have it in the morning that, or at least the. Day. Because if they didn't, if things are going to stiffen up, all that. And she said, I didn't care if they were whining, complaining, shouting, whatever. you got to get up and move. Well, that seems cruel. But it was best for them. Sometimes God brings something in your life that is painful, but it's the best for you. Do you understand what I just said? Some of you may have experienced it, so I know you understand. Some of you haven't been there yet. And God will either be faithful and get you through it, or it might be the thing that kills you. But that's cool because then everything's cool. Then <laughs> everything's great. You know, I don't uh, death. I I've, I've grown enough, understand enough, and am old enough to go. Yeah, that'd be fine. Because it just gets good after that. You know, I hope it's kind of painless. I don't see it coming. But other than that, <laughs> I'm good with it. But I know this: that the most painful things in my life. Resulted in the greatest goods in my life. The greatest good multiple times in my life. And I mean goods like a bunch of stuff. Every time something painful, you can rejoice, something good's on the way. God's gonna give me something that I. And, and again, it may not still be like, oh, painless and, and good. It may be, wow, I really. Listen, the people that really know God are people who lived a life of pain because they've trusted God their whole life. And they know Him intimately. And so you got to learn to trust God. And if you, can, if you can do that, you can trust Him with other people. And, and by the way, nobody likes everybody and everybody doesn't like you. Is that a reality or not? We don't like to say it that way, but that's a reality. Not, I am not everybody's flavor of Baskin-Robbins. I get that. There are just some people, and, and I don't mean for that because I, I, like, I want everybody to like me. I like everybody. There's just some people, they mean to me. They don't like me, and I don't know why. I'm like, what? I'm just me. And then there's some people, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to talk to them. You know what Christianity is? Christianity is saying, you know what? God's at work in their life. He's at work in my life, and I love them, accept them anyway. That's what Paul needed at this point. They needed to trust God, say, I'm going to trust Paul because I trust God, not because I trust Paul. And that would help us in, in many, many ways. Well, then we see a fearless apologetic in verse 22. But Saul, look at these three strong words in verse 22. But Saul increased in all the more in his strength. And put those together. Increased in strength. Sorry, y'all. I thought I'd turn that off, but I'm going to fix that. One second. There. That won't happen again. All right. He increases in strength and... He confounds the Jews. So now he's increasing in strength. Now he's confounding the Jewish people. And he's proving Jesus is the Christ. That's how he confounded them. Those are some strong words. He's increasing in his strength. He's confounding these Jews. He's proving Jesus is the Christ. Four days before that, he just wanted to kill them. How in the world is a guy that happened well there's a lot of things there that we, we can see um, and, 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 we know, and we know what they are because just before this not long before this and we, we've read the story the Sanhedrin the, the Jewish rulers of whom Paul was a part had captured all the apostles at the same time and they have them there they could have killed every apostle at once and Christianity would be no more they had that chance And the guy who stopped that, Gamaliel, he is the most respected uh, authority of his day in Judaism. Said, hey, if this is from God, you're going to be fighting God. And if it's not from God, it'll die on its own. Said, I recommend we don't get in trouble by killing everybody. And they listened to him. Well, his chief disciple, Gamaliel's chief disciple, is Saul. And Saul is this younger guy and you know how younger people are because you were one or are one. You have more emotion and you're more zealous about stuff. I mean, like you have an energy for it and you're just like, oh, I'm indignant. I got to do something. And, and you've got that strength going on. That's great. Just got to focus it, get it in the right direction. And here's Saul, this guy like, there's no gray. It's only black and white. And you've taught me this and you let him off the hook. What's wrong with you? Now, I don't know if he did that or not. The Bible doesn't say he did that. But I'm thinking that Saul, being so zealous for Judaism, had to go, really, Gamaliel? You had him in your sight. You could have taken care of it, and you let him go. Second thing that happened, the Bible tells us this. We, we preached that before. We also preached this. Stephen, he's the first deacon, uh, one of the first deacons, and he gets killed for his faith. He's the very first martyr of the church, and they put him to death. Remember, Saul's on the Sanhedrin. He voted to put him to death. So if Saul never killed any other Christians, he was guilty of murder because he, he helped kill Stephen. <clears throat> and the Bible says he was standing there. But here's what the Bible says in that whole story about Stephen. Stephen, the simple little guy who's a deacon. I don't know what his job was. I don't know how much learning he had or whatever. But the Jewish authorities, the authorities in Judaism, could not answer his arguments that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Jewish Christ, is the Jewish Messiah. Now that had to be frustrating. And here's Saul who's the chief student of the chief authority of Judaism, and neither one of them could dispute Stephen. So that's another burr in Saul's saddle, probably. And and there's one other thing about Saul. He's well-educated, not only in the Old Testament, but he's educated in other things in this world. But But with all of that, he could not overcome the arguments for Christ. So you know what that tells me? He listened to those arguments. He thought them through and tried to dispute them and found out he couldn't. So he had learned those arguments by trying to disprove them. And because of his pride, because of the guy that Saul was that God had to change, he just got meaner and more aggressive about what he no longer could logically believe, knowing that it was a lie. And so Jesus finally had to say, let me help you with this. Knocked him down. Dude, quit. Uh, who are you, Lord? I got a feeling I know, but would you just say it? Yeah, I'm Jesus. Yeah, I thought so. Sorry. Here's what's going to happen to you now. You're going to become my witness. And four days later, Saul standing up in the synagogue saying, Jesus is the Christ. Let me tell you why. I heard this from Stephen. <laughs> and I know it's true because I've researched it myself and here's what it is. And they couldn't, these people could not dispute Saul. Because he had learned the truth. Now, it's necessary to learn. But, and I would say, as a Christian, you ought to want to learn more about Christ. The Bible, Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And it says, he that does not take up his cross is not my disciple. He didn't say you'd be a bad disciple. He said, you're not my disciple. If you won't pick up the cross of Christianity and learn about God and, and work for God and do the things God asks you to do, you're not a bad disciple. You're not a disciple. Now, I didn't say that, so don't come fussing at me. Jesus said that. And so it behooves all of us to be able to witness for Christ and, and, and to do that. Christianity wasn't a new idea. It was the logical conclusion and the application of the old idea that God had told them all in the Old Testament. And since Paul's an expert in that, he took all that, and he knew what, that it was talking about Christ and that Christ met that criteria. Well, the last thing we see here is there is a failed, fatal attempt. And here's what we believe. Between verse 22 and 23 are three years of time. All right, Galatians 1 describes those three years. Saul ran down to a place in southern Israel called Pet, around Petra. He spent three years in that wilderness, Jesus talking to him personally. I don't know how, but Jesus did that. Paul said he did I believe Paul. And so Jesus explains to him about himself... Saul comes back three years later, back to Damascus, to the place he left. And he, now he's preaching Christ. See what it says. After many days, the Jews plotted to kill him. So many days had passed, probably those three years. Now he's back. And they're like, he's back. We thought we were rid of him. Let's kill him. But Saul heard about it, and he gets let go. Uh, they they let him over a wall in a basket. I just want to get this out of that for you today. If you talk about Jesus, somebody's going to get mad. If Calvary decides that we want to get into this community and spread Jesus, somebody's going to get mad. If we go to every home and give a gospel presentation, if we leave on the Jesus move, somebody's going to call, who put this junk on my door? I can't believe your church did this. No, Somebody's going to talk to somebody about Christ. They're going to say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, let me ask you, have you ever come to a point in your life where you know for certain, for sure, if you died, you'd go to him? Yeah, I know. I told you I'm a Christian. Well, why would Jesus let you into his kingdom if you stood before him right now? And he said, why should I let you in? I don't know. I'm a Christian. And, and the person witnesses to them. Then they're going to call the church. Somebody came out. I told them I was a Christian. They kept talking to me. So <laughs> that's what we trained them to do. Let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, because I know that's getting out of your comfort zone talking about Jesus. Friday, I was in Walmart. And I was working at the house. I, I didn't have a shower. Wasn't dressed up. And I went to Walmart. And I had on a, a little a toboggan hat. A little thin one. With a Clemson tiger paw right there. It says Clemson on the back. And this attractive young lady dressed nicely walks up to me and says, are you from South Carolina? I said, I sure am. And she said, so am I. She said, but I'm a Carolina fan. I said, I'm sorry. And uh, so she giggled like you just did. And then I I said, where from in South Carolina? She said, well, around Columbia. And I said, where around Columbia? I'm from there. I'm from South Carolina. She said, Well, a little town called Lexington. I said, I don't know about Lexington. I've lived for three years in Columbia. I grew up in Charleston. I said, Why are you in Virginia? She said, Well, I got married. My husband's job here. So what's his job? She said, Well, he fixes uh, copiers and stuff. That, that he worked for that group. I, I forget the exact word she used. I said, Well, I might have met him because I'm the pastor of a church and I hand her my card. And I said, And he's probably been in our church fixing things. Do you have a church? She said, well, actually, I do. I walked up to witness to you. (laughs) To which I responded, wow, amen. Thank you. That is amazing. I did not get offended that she thought I was lost. So it is no doubt you're going to run into some people who are going to get mad that you try to tell them about Jesus. Just know this about them. They're lost. I don't care if they're religious and go to church. They're lost. Because if I know Jesus and you know Jesus and you think I need a witness, I'm going to rejoice that you cowgirled or cowboyed up and did that. You know? Just cowboy up and do it. And you never know what will happen. And then I saw, she she had a little baby. I saw her later, mom and a little baby. And I was like, okay, because I'm wondering why is this, you know, young, attractive girl talking to me, looking like this. And then I found out because she wanted to witness to me. And her mom was probably around the corner praying for Brittany. Now, Lord be with Brittany, she talked to that strange man around the corner. (laughs) But what happened, she saw something she could connect to and open a conversation so she could tell me about Jesus. And if you are observant, you can do that. You can stand in line at Walmart and see dog food behind you. Oh, you got a dog. What kind of dog you got? I got a pound dog. What kind of dog you got? Wow. Do you go to church anywhere? Now, I know that seems like a sudden switch, but you're talking about dogs, and all of a sudden you're talking about church, but it's cool because you talked about the dog first. If you just start, where do you go to church? You're a fanatic, man. But you're talking about Fido. It's okay. Now, we don't bring our dogs to church, but I got a dog. I, I, appreciate you have one. Do you know some of the people who get mad at people in this church? I don't know why we're going out there in all that community. Tell me, all these strange new people coming in. You know what happens when you witness for Jesus? People get saved and they come to church. Isn't that great? Some of them get mad about that. Trust me. But here's the deal. The opposite is true. The opposite is true. You will run into people who will forever be grateful that you are brave enough to talk to them about Jesus Christ because they will be spending eternity with you in heaven. And they will walk up to you and you may not, it might be that lady who walks up and says, thank you. For what? I don't even know who you are. Well, I came to your church one time and you were doing a wedding. And the things that happened at that wedding led me to know Christ. And I just want to thank you for being a faithful witness. Wow. And by the way, it may take heaven to reveal that. Well, what can we do with all this? A couple of things. First of all, same for the first one. Get with, the, get with the Sunday school group or a small group next week here at the church. Secondly, tell one person about the reality of Jesus in your life. Just this week, say before next Sunday. Somewhere, somehow, at my job, at home, my neighbor, somebody. I'm just going to explore that. I'm going to say, hey, can I tell you about something that happened to me? There was a time when I had fear. I, I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of my own shadow. I'm telling you my testimony now, because I grew up in church. It's hard sometimes people relate to that. But as a kid, I was afraid of everything. Now I'm only afraid. I, I used to say I was afraid of a moving eighteen wheeler and my wife and God, but I've been hit by a moving eighteen wheeler, so I'm not afraid of those anymore. I'm still afraid of my wife and God, but other than that, I'm good. And I'm joking about my wife. Here's the deal. I was a fearful person, and then something really dramatic happened to me, and all my fear went away because I got a peace that I knew what. no matter what happened in my life, that somebody was taking care of me. Do you want to know who that is? His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for me. And you can just go tell them about the reality of Jesus in your life. And you're going to run people and say, oh, I don't believe that mess. Okay. I love it when somebody tells me they don't believe the Bible. They say, Oh, I, I had a guy when I was a teenager say, now, I believe the Bible was written by a relative of Walt Disney. Now, I was a teenager, so number one, I was young and enthusiastic. Number two, I hadn't been married yet, so nobody had been there to really help rub off those rough edges. So I just spun around, and then I said it in an ugly way. I could have said it in a nice way, but again, I was 17. And I said, have you ever read it? I could have said, hey, have you ever read the Bible? But I didn't do it that way. I said, have you ever read it? He said, no. I said, well, I was pretty ignorant Be talking about something you don't know anything about. Maybe you ought to read it, and then we'll talk about it. Now, I should have been nicer about it. I should have said, well, why don't you read it, and we'll have a discussion over it, and we'll just meet for coffee. No, but I didn't do that, unfortunately. So I don't know if that guy ever got saved because I was ugly. Like I said, I hope God used that mess. I love when somebody says, well, I think I don't believe the Bible. Why? Because it's full of errors. I love that, especially when I'm holding a Bible. Because I'll, I'll go find a Bible, and I'll hit them in the stomach. I mean, I've made people go, Pew! you know, I hit them with I said, show me one. I have yet to have somebody take a Bible out of my hand and try to show me one. Because they don't know. They're just trying to scare you from talking to them. And if you won't be intimidated by people's smoke. And you just say, let me tell you about the reality of Jesus in my life. Then you're going somewhere. The third thing I want you to do is related to that. And it's a little more complicated. When you go home, get out a piece of paper and write down your reasons for belief that Jesus is the Christ. And if you have trouble with that, then maybe you need to investigate why Jesus is real to you. I hope you're not a believer just because somebody told you. I hope you're a believer because you looked at the evidence and realized that nothing else could possibly be true except Jesus is God. And by the way, that's the truth. That is the only possible. He's either God or he is a crazy man. He's a liar or crazy or he's God. Because he said, I am, if you've seen Jehovah, me, you've seen Jehovah. I am the son of God, I am the son of man. I am the perfect God, man. Those are the claims of Christ. No man comes to the Father except by me. So either he's crazy, he's a liar, or he he is God. And so the only possibility is that. So why do you believe that? And if you haven't examined the evidence of why that's true, then maybe you need to start doing some investigating. Listen, you are blessed. When I was a kid, everybody that was older than me back then, they had to go to the library or buy books. And, they, and, and all that wasn't as accessible to them. Now you can Google it. <laughs> and you can find out. Since there's a lot of trash there, too. So if you see something weird, come talk to me and I'll help you with it. But, but in that, you can do research and find out. Why Jesus is who he said he was. And I pray you will. Because there's a lot of people that say they believe in Jesus. Jehovah Witnesses do. Mormons do. Catholics do. Islamists do. But they don't believe the Jesus of this Bible. And this is the one that is the true Jesus. Not the Baptist one. Not the Stuart one. The Bible one. And so we need, need to know this. And God can help you do that.